Fan Morning Show, Gunning and McKee, final hour here. We almost did it. Congratulations to us and congratulations to you. And thank you to Caitlin McGrath jumping on with us to kick off the final hour of the show. Uh, Caitlin, I hope you've been enjoying the All-Star break and I hope we didn't end it too early for you. Thank you for taking some time to jump on with us this morning. Yeah, of course. No, it's, uh, I just appreciate the nights off, you know, I don't care about getting up early, but just, you know, being at home at night is nice for a change. It is. As a person who worked evenings for eight years to not have to do it, is it really nice? It's, it is. It's a nice thing. Yeah, I uh, I get it too. I'm working the Leafs beat during the winter. So yeah, it's, uh, it's certainly a different change. We do appreciate you uh, you getting up for us. So a little more than three weeks until the trade deadline. And I think a lot of the conversations around this team are going to focus on what should they do. My question is how much of what they do between now and the deadline in terms of the team's performance do you think will change the front office's strategy at the deadline? Because I think this is a team that has proven itself good enough to maybe do a little bit of adding, a little bit of seasoning heading into the deadline. But given the way the season is gone, I don't know that this is a team that are full-fledged buyers the way a World Series contender would be. Do you think that anything that happens between now and the deadline can kind of tilt the front office's hand one way or another? Not in terms of, like, winning like I, I I agree with you that this the season hasn't been uh you know overwhelmingly great but I still think categorically this is a win now team like all the chips have been pushed in uh for the last few years um so I don't know that you know they need to do anything significant at the deadline just because I can't figure out where this significant piece would be I think the one thing that I would sort of point out that I would be watching for is really how Alec Manoa performs, because I think if he's kind of um, pitching the way that we all expected he would pitch, I think that you're, you feel a little bit better about your starting rotation. Uh, You obviously still want some depth, I think, regardless of how Alec Manoa is pitching. Uh, But you, if you have him kind of going and he's reliably giving you innings again, and, you know, I'm not saying he has to be the Cy Young guy that he was, Last year, that would be nice. But even when he did in Detroit, um, just keep building off of that. I think giving innings and being efficient uh, is probably like the most important key thing for him uh, right now. And if he can do that for the Blue Jays, I think they'll feel uh, better with their starting rotation because, you know, outside of Manoa, it's, it's looked pretty good for the most part. Um, and then you have Hunjin Ryu making his way back so he can represent some depth maybe he slides in as a six starter for a period that gives their rotation some some extra rest down the stretch and so he's the one that I'm kind of looking at saying if he's performing how we think he should maybe they have to do a little bit less with the starting rotation if he's not then yeah maybe you do really need to get a starter because I don't know how much you can rely on Hunjin Ryu just stepping in um otherwise like Depth is where you want to add, I think, definitely a rotation. Bullpen, you always want to add more in the bullpen, I think. And and probably a bench bat would help them as well. Yeah, the thing with the bullpen, and it's kind of similar to what what you're just talking about with Manoa and Ryu, is... Chad Green is now this. I think it's this weekend. He's facing live batters for the first time. I think I think I saw BNS talk about that. So that guy is an addition that I mean, you're depends what you're going to get from him. I know he's coming off Tommy John. It's you know the first couple starts back or whatever. But even if you're getting eighty percent of Chad Green in the bullpen, that's probably a lot better than you know trading. 
capital for a guy who's not as good as Chad Green. So I, I think I like what you're saying in terms of the moves that they've already made leading up to this point are kind of their win now big swings. And if anything's done at the deadline, I think it'll be more minor tinkering. Yeah, I think so. And I, I just go back to like, I don't see a huge hole anywhere on the roster where you're like, oh, they need someone like, you know, back in 2021 when they traded for Jose Brios, it was, you know, like clear they needed a starter. Um, and there's some things last year. Last year was a lot more like depth moves they added to the bullpen. Um, but this year I kind of see it similarly where, yeah, it's minor tinkering. It's maybe a bullpen arm. Um, it's someone that can hit off the bench. Um, you know, maybe it's a depth starter type. Uh, but you know, I don't, it's not like they need like a shortstop or it's not like they need, you know, a third baseman this year or something like that. There's not a huge hole they need to fill. Um, and you know, for the most part, when you just look at, at their team, offense has probably been the one thing that's been underperforming the most. Well, for the most part, that's going to have to improve within, like you're not going to be able to bring in one guy, um, maybe off the bench and have him flip your offense completely. Like, if the team's going to get to where they want to get to make a run, um, certainly for the wild card, you know, who knows about the division at this point, but uh, it's, it's going to have to come from within. You're going to have to get more from Vlad. You're going to have to get more from Chapman. You're going to have to get more uh, from Alejandro Kirk uh, and some other guys. And so, yeah, the deadline does represent a time to make the team better, but I think most of the sort of upside has to come from the guys that are already on this roster. Yeah, it's tough, right? If you if you want to pick and choose the obvious spot to upgrade a bat, you maybe point to Kevin Kiermeyer, but I think he's over-improved a lot of people's expectations for him offensively this, this season, and he's so important in terms of what he does, not only defensively, but his ability to keep Springer fresh because of Kevin how too. little. And, I guess that, but that's well, the 25th man. And again, yeah. if you're improving your 25th man, how much does that yeah. really, really change things for you? The, the thing I keep coming to with the kind of question of how aggressive they should be or how much of a push they should make is, what do you look at the Blue Jays' window to win as? I mean, I know a lot of people will look at Bo and Vladdy and say, well, as long as they're here, they have the window to win and maybe throw Manoa into that as well. And I'm not disagreeing with that, but I would look at it much more clearly as so long as Kevin Gossman is under contract, that's when this team needs to be in kind of all in mode because Jose Barrios has proven himself to be a really, really good starter. Alec Manoa, if he's going to come back and be the version of himself, that's a one, two, but there's nobody who's replacing Kevin Gossman. I mean, I know you can go out and do the free agent thing again, but you're going to have money spent on Bo and Vlad. And hopefully if everything goes right, Alec Manoa, by the time that comes around. So do you think it's fair to kind of look at this next? I think it's, three seasons left uh, with, with Gosman under contract and say that's kind of the Blue Jays' real window to win now. Yeah, and I mean that somewhat aligns with Bo and Vlad too. I mean they have, what, two more years after this? Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's all it's all kind of around the same timeline. Um, yeah, it's an interesting way to look at it. Uh, you could even go even you know closer and say like, you traded for a guy like Matt Chapman for two years. You have him for this year and not next year. Like maybe your win now is right now. Like, um, you know, I think you can kind of slice it all these different ways uh, in terms of where the Blue Jays should be targeting um, winning. I mean, realistically, they they just want to win in, in any of these years, this yeah. year, next year, the year after. Like um, they're, they're a team that I don't, I don't think they're designing their team to like, say after Kevin Gosman's uh, contract is up, we're falling off the cliff and we're not going to be competitive. Like their whole idea 
um, is to be competitive every year. And, yeah, there's going to be maybe some periods where they're more of a contender. This is a period maybe they do take a slight step back. If, you know, say they do, like, lose Bo and Vlad, uh, they don't have a rotation anymore, whatever happens, like, yeah, then maybe there's going to be some sort of step back. But I think this team is going to be built to be competitive every year. That's sort of the idea. But I think right now, like, they've got to do everything to win. There's guys on this team that aren't going to be here next year. Kevin Kiermaier's not going to be here. Brandon Bell's not going to be here. Well, I mean, they could sign again, but, I mean, they're on one-year deals. Uh, But Maryfield's probably going to be a free agent. Um, So there's a lot of guys that are – part of this team now uh, that may not be part of it next year and you know this is a team they built to be a division winner right now it's not in a position to win the division but they are in position to make the postseason so they kind of just um, you know have to keep I don't know keep getting better in the in the second half and it's certainly possible because I think you would look at the first half and say they pretty much underperformed the entire first half so there's a lot more that this team can do um, it's kind of just a matter of actually doing it in the second half. So this leads me in perfectly into my next question here, Caitlin, is what gives you the most hope heading into the second half of the year that the Jays can kind of continue this playoff spot and improve and move a little bit higher up the standings? Yeah, um, well, I think that you look at the offense and I think that you can tell there's probably a lot more there in the sense that, like, Uh, for the most part in the first half, like hitting has not really been an issue. Getting guys on base hasn't really been an issue. It's usually just been plating the runs and um, runners in scoring position hitting. And so those things tend to just normalize at some point. Um, There's usually not like any rhyme or reason. Like if you're a good hitting team, you're a good hitting team, regardless of who's on base guys don't really change. Um, Now, things can happen, like a team can sort of get tense and try to do too much. I think that that probably happened um, at parts of the first half for the Blue Jays. But, you know, you've had the break. Um, Hopefully everyone's kind of coming in sort of loose off the break. You start uh, the second half at home, which is nice. Obviously, in the first half, they started on that really long road trip um, to start the season. So maybe you get on a roll a little bit um, starting the second half, and you can kind of score – Pitching really hasn't been an issue. Like the rotation has been really good uh, for the most part and uh, the bullpen's actually been really good as well. So I think for me, I, it gives me hope that I think the offense probably is a lot better and, and I think they will be better in the second half. And you look at some guys like, you know, Vladimir Grown Jr. Um, really wasn't quite himself in the first half. He was still good, but just not sort of the great level that we know you think there's probably a lot more in Alejandro Kirk's bat. Um, You had Matt Chapman, who was amazing in April and then like really fell off in May and June struggled too. July. He's looked a lot better. So I think that I, it gives me hope that I, I think that the offense probably should perform better, probably should normalize. And um, even last year, you look at last year, the offense wasn't quite as hot in the first half. um, And then they really turned it on in the second half. So I can kind of expect 
something similar happening this year. Yeah, I definitely tend to buy into the thing about runners in scoring position of it. It is cyclical. It does come around. I just actually pulled it up because I was curious about this. So for last year, they were the fifth worst team in the majors by the end of the year in terms of runners left on base. And they are a touch better this year, but not much. And I know there's been a turnover, you know, obviously a guy like Varsho, a guy like Belt, a guy like Kiermaier. These are all new players on the team. So it's not like it is just the same group year over year. But when you do see this happen a couple of times uh, in a, or a couple of seasons in a row. And like you said, there's still time for it to normalize. It is a, uh, it's a concerning trend to say the least. And I think the, the most concerning thing about it is that there's not really anything you can do. I mean, like you said, if it's a case of a team tensing up, well, how do you stop yourself from being tense? It's to come through in one of those moments and know that you're going to be able to do it. And if it is an approach issue, well, we've seen them kind of stick with the approach for a couple of seasons now. So that's my only concern about the the runners left in base. Normally, I would agree with you and say, ah, it's going to figure itself out. But this is two years in a row now with, again, not the exact same team, but a pretty similar core or at least bulk of the batting yeah well i think like runners left on base and then hitting actually with runners in scoring position is different like left on base i don't know i haven't looked into deep deeply these numbers but a team that gets on base a lot is always going to probably leave more on base than teams that just don't get on base so you could read it that way as well we're spinning around here i like that that's a good spin zone there (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but, like, the Blue Jays just get on base a lot. Like, they, they hit a lot. They make a ton of contact. They don't strike out a ton. Um, and so I think that probably one of the reasons why they leave a lot of guys on base is just that they they, uh, they get a lot of guys on base. Um, but your point stands. Like, I, I do think that we've seen this team be a bit streaky offensively. They'll go through wild dips in performance sometimes where it doesn't look like they can hit. And so I think this year, like, one of the things that stands out is just the power hasn't been there. We, mm-hmm. we haven't seen quite amount of powers we're used to with the Blue Jays. And, yeah, the, it, it is a different makeup of a team. Um, and I think that probably we thought that there would be some um, decline in power a little bit, losing, like, Teoscar Hernandez. And, you know, Dalton Varsha was not hit, not hit in general and really not hit for power the way that maybe many expected that he would. Probably some transition for him and um, probably pretty tough to come into a situation where, like, you're the new guy, you know, the guy that it was traded for. One of the guys that it was traded for was kind of a fan favorite. And so um, I'm sure it's been sort of a tough transition for him. And so I think in the second half, like, you want to see more power from the Blue Jays because I think that's been the thing that's been tough about scoring is it, it is hard to score when you're just sort of stringing hits along. Like, mm-hmm. you know, to, to get guy gets on base, gets a single. It's like, well, to get them all across – home plate and you're not getting a home run like you may have to string like a double then they're single and then another single together and that's kind of tough to do when pitching is so good in the major leagues you're asking to get so many hits in a row like sometimes it's not possible so I think that's what's been sort of the more frustrating part about the Blue Jays is that yeah they get a couple guys on base but they're not getting that big knock they're not getting that easy one swing um, and you score three runs because of a, with a home run. So I think that's the thing that's going to really help. Um, it'll clear the bases. Uh, you won't leave any guys on base if you hit a home run. Um, and so oh, but I it's a rally that- killer. That would kill the rally, though, Caitlin. <laughs> <laughs> They'll take it. They'll okay. take that. Uh, Caitlin, thanks so much for taking the Appreciate time with it. us this morning. Uh, one more night off for you, and then you're back to the salt mines that is uh, covering Major League Baseball. <laughs> Tough life we lead, I know. <laughs> I know, I know.
Uh, there she goes. <laughs> Caitlin McGrath. Always love uh, getting her on there. Uh, to her point that she refuted my point with. a it's lot of excellent. Ref- Both of those points are excellent points. Okay, you ready for this? Oh, boy. Let Another me list, refute? Let, no, just oh. no. No, agreeing with Caitlin. Mm. Let me list all the teams. This So this is MLB runners left in scoring position per game, okay? Mm. So basically the amount of times you have a guy second or third, can't cash them. Here are all the teams that do it more often than the Blue Jays. The L.A. Dodgers. Okay, yeah, I've heard of them. The Reds. The Texas Rangers, who mash as well. Yes. uh, And the Red Sox. They're kind of the one outlier there. But guess what? They 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 mash as well. They they have a good good line. Uh, Yeah, so those are all the teams that did it more, do it more than the Blue Jays this year. If we're looking at last year, and again, uh, slightly different teams, but it's Boston, the Mm -hmm. Dodgers, Mm -hmm. Cleveland, the Cubs, the Nationals, and the Jays. So not as dominant a group there, but definitely to Caitlin's point. If you're a good hitting team, there's going to be the odd time that you don't scratch a guy across. So plenty of different ways to uh, look at those numbers. And good. that's why we get Caitlin on, to refute our refuting. Um, can, we, can I talk about Varsho for a second? Of course. Because she brought, him, she brought him up there as... I, <laughs> I actually think that Dalton Varsho is the perfect fan favorite Jays guy. But. That will never be the perfect fan favorite <laughs> Jays guy because... Of the trade, yes, because he will always be measured against that trade. Yep, and an all star and Moreno. And listen, I don't know what Moreno's going to be, but he hits. He's athletic. He's a good catcher. Mm-hmm. Like he's going to be a good catcher in the league for ten years. Yes, right. Like he's just going to be around. Just one of those guys, he's always solid. Like, yep. But like he's never going to be wowing you away with his like. I think it's. Well, I mean, maybe his power is. He's no, never, no, not a power not guy. Bad. No, no, no. But he's amazing defensively. Yep. Like he would be a stud catcher in the league for a long time. I think Lourdes, who knows what's going to be up with him, but the, just one for one in general yep. would still be bad. But everything he does on a baseball field is exactly what Blue Jay fans like. He's short. Well, they not, love that. Oh, well, they do. But the guy is excellent, elite defensively. Yes. He is an elite defensive outfielder who has really changed the fortune, fortunes of the Jays' defensiveness. Like, their outfield right now with him and Springer in right, and when Kiermaier's in center, and then Varsho in center is really, really good too. Yep. His base running is incredible. His ability to drop down a bunt, like, you know, people, whatever. Don't, don't say that too loud. When, people are when, not going to like you saying that. he drops down a bunt. And there's no, and Buck, oh my God, so horned up. He's like, yeah, that's getting so, it down in the dirt, baby. <laughs> he does it so well. Like, he does all the little gritty things that Blue Jays fans love in a fan favorite. Yep. He really does. But it's just, you can never, like, I want to love Dalton Varsho. But Varsha. you can't get past him. I want to love him. But every time I see him just whiffing at any high heat, yep. which he does, it feels like he does at least two times a game. To strike out, yes, it's really hard. Like, I, they've been he's been put in a bad spot. Like they started him in the cleanup spot. Gunner. Yeah, I know. And I that know. First game he had that two was it a two run knock, and I was like, yep. oh my god, yes, it's like the trade. And he's just it it kills me because I want to love him. Yep. I really do, and I think a lot of Toronto wants to love him, mm-hmm. but he just can't get past the trade. It's a crusher. Does it does it help you at all? that the position that Moreno would be playing is occupied by your other favorite Blue Jay. I do love me some Danny Jansen. I am also a member of this club, Slamo Jano, big, big fan. I think he's 
and I mean, you can't teach this, and I know it's a stupid baseball thing. No, it's people, true. Can't teach clutch. One out of clutch. one out of every nine hits I've seen him yeah, get in his life clutch. is in a like, big spot. I think he's hitting. Was he hit? Is he hitting over two hundred this year? But all all his hits this year have been exclusively massive hits. Uh, we will be taking no further questions on on Danny Jansen's batting metrics, other than gets a big knock every time I see him up <laughs> well, to the I dish. I Google Danny Jansen. The first thing that comes up is why does he wear glasses? Probably because he can't see. Yeah, but that's probably a pretty good reason there. He just looks so, so great. He's hit, Com- so he's got a seven forty six. Six OPS this year in 195 plate appearances. So the same one we killed Vladdy for. Yeah, and yeah. he's got he's got uh, he's got 11 home runs, 37 RBIs. So he's no, he's a legit guy. Yeah, and I think he's a good enough defensively. But to me, if you could have done the Varsho trade, yeah. but with Kirk oh, instead of Marino, I mean, but like to me. They could have sold high on Kirk. I, Kirk had a great year, and that's the one where it's like you're preaching. You, this is this is like when we're going to get Termini on here in a few minutes, and he's going to say, you know, what you guys should do trade Pascal yeah. Siakam, preaching to the choir. Um, uh, I'm just surprised Alec Manoa didn't come after me with all the things I said about well, Alejandro Kirk at the end of last year. They should have 1,000 percent sold high. They should have sold high. I was saying it at the All Star break because of how high I was on Moreno. <laughs> so I will be doing victory laps on that one. Forever. Yeah. And this year with Moreno and Danny Jansen as your catching duo, and I don't think Moreno would do that forever. No. Nope. But I think he's still young enough where you could sell him on one yep. year of being the kind of the backup mm-hmm. guy who gets into two a two a game, maybe DH or here and there. Well, or you give him you give him a couple guys on the staff, yeah. right? Like that pairing to me, the Jays are in such a better spot, and you still have the card yep. this year to play. At the deadline, yep. if you're like, hey, we can t- Taylor Heineman can be our backup, yeah, and, exactly. and we have Danny catch five days yep. a week or whatever. I know if he gets hurt, I just I don't believe in Kirk. Like I have no belief in him. I have never uh, even if, like when when Ben and JD were calling themselves the Alejandros. Okay, even then I did not ben, believe. Ben still is. Oh, I know. I know. I know. Uh, JD, it's, like, it's not so no, much. No, I know. It's part of the reason why I'm scared to take up Ben on his invite to go play golf with him is I don't want to try to be converted for four hours back into the church of Alejandro Kirk. So, yeah, he's just the the sting in the bat is completely gone. That right center field power that he used to show is just really not there anymore. Well, and let's and let's be realistic here. Like, if it's if it's getting bad now, this is not to say he can't bounce back. It's not yeah. to say he can't find it. But it's like, do we think Alejandro Kirk's going to continue to get better, or do we think he's going to continue to plateau and then decline? Like, honestly, how do we think this is going to go? Giving agent curds and everything how we see about the guy, I would put him at twenty six, twenty seven. I, I think believe he's younger than that. But oh. anyways, I just I I have a I I, I am concerned. 24, uh, November birthday, so 25 after the season. Born in Tijuana. So you don't think... Just thought I'd throw that in there. I just, I really do wish they had have found a way to do... But maybe they wouldn't have done it. They probably asked. Oh, I... I, You think they asked? I think I think that there was at least the possibility of looking at that if we were the Jays. We see how high they were on Moreno. We see how much they tried yeah. to shoehorn him into the lineup last year. When the, You think there wasn't a spot for him with Danny Jansen. They tried to put him in the lineup when Jansen and Kirk were here. Yeah. So clearly they were super high on him. I think that it was more that they – I bet you they could have found a Kirk trade that would have made sense. I bet it was them being more super high on Varsho, and that's what it took to get the player because mm-hmm. everything we know about this front office – Varsho feels like the guy who kind of checks all those boxes, yeah. lots of control, can do different things for you. And this part we don't talk about anymore because I guess it's a non-starter, mm-hmm. but 
He was a catcher up until he was a Blue Jay. Yeah. Well, he that, caught, how many games did he catch last year? 30? Yeah. 35? It's not, it's not nothing. Yeah, like, it's not that's, nothing. That's, uh, that's a lot. If we, like, if Lourdes Gurriel Jr. played third base 30 times last year, we wouldn't say, ah, he could, we don't talk. No, yeah. he's a third baseman. Like, yeah. it's definitely part of the mix. Uh, awesome conversation there. Uh, Blue Jays, one more night off. Back at it tomorrow. Uh, when, and guess who's coming to town? Gabriel Moreno and oh, Lourdes Gurriel Jr. What perfect timing for that. Uh, going to be perfect time to talk to Justin Termini, final guest of the show today. Also, going to give you our grinder of the day. If you think you can beat Dirty Wet Pit, <laughs> then get it in. Tough, tough sledding, though, I got to say. Justin Termini coming up to close out the show. It's Fan Morning Show with Gunningham McKee on Sportsnet 5.9 of the Fan. Dive deep into Toronto sports and the NFL. The J.D. Bunkus Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Final segment of the show, Fan Morning Show. Brent Gunning, Sam McKee here with you for another 20 minutes or so. Thanks to everybody keeping us fed on the text line all morning long. We'll close you out with some of those before we go. But joining us now, very happy to be joined by Justin Termini, host of NBA Today from 3 to 6 p.m. on Sirius XM NBA channel. Justin, thanks so much for taking the time. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, fellas. So uh, we love a little news. We love a little news in the dead of summer. And uh, Damian Lillard, I guess, at this time is the uh, the gift that keeps on giving. You know, I've we've been talking a little bit this morning about the idea of how Lillard's perception has changed, if it's changed at all throughout this. I mean, forever it felt like he was the guy in the NBA who had far and away the highest approval rating. You know, even if you weren't a Blazers fan, what could you say bad about Dame? I mean, and unless you're Paul George, I, I guess, saying it was a bad shot. But other than that, everybody seems have good things to say uh it seems like the worm is turning a little bit uh with his trade request to miami and miami only yeah no i agree with you because i've always defended the guy i've always loved the guy uh and i've I've dealt with the guy and i think one of the better individuals in the sport i've always called him one of the better leaders in the sport i had no issue as a player when he made the top 75 list even though i did have an issue with some of the current guys making it uh for example anthony davis uh, but, uh, yeah, this has certainly changed his perception, and rightfully so, because, uh, again, I don't even like when guys demand to trade, especially in the middle of a long-term contract. But then to do it and specify one team, uh, I think, is, is a bunch of garbage. Uh, and I think, you know, his agent Aaron Goodwin and himself are, are ruining a reputation that, again, has been spectacular for the last 10 or 11 years. We can't do something like this and expect people uh, not to be upset about it. And one of the things that, that brings it to me, even uh, to another level, is the fact that it's always – and again, this is something that's with, with every NBA player. It's always Miami. It's, it's always the Lakers. Uh, you know, I don't just see how a sport can sustain when every time a star player, uh, you know, wants out, they're going to specify one, one location. If he had said, hey, five, ten teams, again, don't like somebody breaking their contract and demanding a trade. Uh, but, uh, you know, that, that to me is acceptable, five to ten teams. One team, that's utterly ridiculous. So how does... Uh, Blazers general manager Joe Cronin handle this because if I'm him I'm just going to wait and wait and wait and there's no way that Damian Lillard who loves basketball this much one of the better players he's just not going to play Justin like I don't I don't understand why there's any rush for him to do anything if I'm if I'm Joe Cronin I'm holding out forever I'm holding out I'm playing the waiting game here to me he's not he's not going to hold out he's going to play 
Yeah, exactly. I would say the same thing. I mean, we've seen guys like James Harden who quit in the middle of the season in order to get his way. That's I'm not really. sure that Damian Lillard's. No. Yeah, I, I I agree. I don't think that Lillard's built that way. Uh, I would call his bluff. Uh, and you know, if I was another team, I would call his bluff as well because I don't think he would shut down. If I'm a Philadelphia or a Boston and I really wanted him, uh, I would try and make that move. Uh, and then Miami would have to up their offer as well because let's be honest, Miami's just you know trying to strong arm them into trading him, Damian Lillard. If not, they've had a garbage off season because they've lost two starters and gave Vincent and Max Strews. Uh, and, you know, they were a seventh, eighth seed uh, last year with those guys in the lineup. So I think they would take a major step back uh, and they're kind of desperate to make it work out with Lillard. So uh, you're right. That's what I would do if I was Joe Crone. Yeah. And I mean, the other part of it as well is that, you know, you know, depending on how you feel about these things, but the idea of Henderson falling to them at three, you know, if, if the idea is Lillard shows up to camp and, you know, it's not that he doesn't know who Scoot Henderson is, but you get him in a gym with a guy and they form a nice little partnership. Uh, maybe that can kind of turn the worm on things, although he does seem pretty, pretty sad to, to leave. Yeah. Uh, one other superstar whose name is out there in, in trades or, you know what, actually I'm going to walk that back and some people here might get mad. I don't know that we should call him a superstar, but a star nonetheless, Pascal Siakam. He has been pretty loud in saying he would like to be a Raptor. He would like to get extended here. I think a lot of that is comfortability with the franchise, but I think a lot of that is comfortable with making the most money he could possibly possibly make as well. How do you think Siakam is viewed across the league and how much do you think he, he helps the team if he does in fact get moved before the, the Raptors sign him to an extension? Yeah, I mean, I think in certain years he could be a top 15 player. In certain years he wouldn't be in that discussion. I think last year he got off to a really good start, uh, and then he, he got injured and he slowed down significantly. Uh, in regards to, like, making a decision, whether you extend him or whether you let him go, I think a decision's got to be made soon because we saw them lose Fred Van Vliet for nothing. You got Gary Trent, who's a free agent after the season, OG Aminobe, Siakam. Uh, so you got three guys heading into their free agency year. Uh, are you going to sign all of those guys? And if you do sign all of those guys, it looks to me like a team that would be stuck in the middle. Uh, and the other thing that makes it difficult is you've got a rookie head coach in there uh, in Darko Rakovic, and you're going to make him deal in his first season with three guys three uh, you know, pretty integral parts to the rotation that are all playing for a contract, I think that's a little dicey as well. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think with those three guys, uh, you got to make a decision and, and probably make one soon. So what's the perception from the outside looking at the Toronto Raptors? Because the approval rating, we're talking about it with Lillard, the approval rating here on Bobby Webster and Masai Ujiri has really shifted in terms of coming off that championship, you know, where they were – unassailable in this city. They were the number one front office. Everyone looked upon them as the best in the world. They were, they were loved obviously after a championship, but the way the last four or five years have gone, Justin, it's really kind of started to flip here. And I'm just interested to get your take on what the Raptors have looked like in the past couple of years and what's happened from last year's deadline and beyond. I mean, I think it's smart not to match or uh, give anywhere close to Fred Van Fleet the type of money he got in Houston. Uh, that, to me, was ridiculous. But also, should they have traded him at the deadline last year in order to get something back? Uh, the thing that kind of surprises me about uh, what Ujiri has done is I always put him in that boat with, like, Pat Riley, Danny Ainge, uh, where those guys weren't necessarily running a team to, like, save their job, right? They were, they were going for it, right? Mm -hmm. So... Uh, like, they didn't care what the public thought. Uh, Danny Ainge wasn't happy being in the middle. Pat Riley's never happy being in the middle. If he was, he just would have brought back the team that he has down there uh, and uh, and not worried about Damian Lillard uh, and gone for broke. Uh, you know, Masai Ujiri seems to be right now happy in the middle because he's done nothing with a team that is right now, by definition, in the middle. It's like a 7th, 8th, ninth, 10th seed.
see, uh, you know, a 500 team. I think they even went 41 and 41 last year. Uh, so I would anticipate that, or I would have anticipated that he would have done something at the deadline last year, that he'd do something this summer. The fact that they haven't done anything is a little bit surprising to me. Yeah, I, I think Ujiri gets a lot of credit for being a bold GM, and rightfully so. He made one of the more bold trades we've seen in the NBA and going out and getting Kawhi, especially when it wasn't necessarily a situation he wanted to find himself in. But I also think that that has kind of put the blinders on him a little bit. You know, this is a Raptors team that was able to turn. Now, it wasn't quite the mushy middle. This was a team that was making the conference finals when it was the DeRozan and Lowry Raptors. It was just LeBron. But it was just LeBron that stood in the way. Couldn't get by LeBron. But regardless, this was a a team that would make its way to second, third rounds. And Ujiri was able to turn that into Kawhi Leonard. And a little piece of me has felt that he's always tried to keep the team respectable with the hopes that when a situation kind of like the one you see with Damian Lillard now presents itself, that you could pounce and you could, you know, find a way to get another superstar in here. The problem is, is that that team that they were able to add Kawhi Leonard to, I mean, Pascal Siakam at times was the fourth best guy on that team. And he's going to be the second banana you're kind of pairing with anybody now. So I think that's just kind of the problem with the what the Raptors have, have found themselves in. I don't know if you you kind of see it the same way from the outside, but that's definitely my, my kind of read on it. Yeah, I mean, the problem is these guys' contracts are now running out, right? So these pieces like OG and Anobi, who last year you could have turned into something, uh, now the value, I think, decreases a little bit because teams around the league, instead of having them for a year and a half, they only have them for a year. Uh, and that's if you make the deal this summer, if you wait until, like, the trade them, and then they got these guys for half a year. So that's where I think, you know, the difference is as well. So you were in Vegas, right, Justin? Uh, I, I was. Did I just got back. Did, yep. you, did you get a look at Weminyama? I did. Uh, now, see, I sit in the back, so because uh, we're we're sitting in the back where we can interview a yeah, bunch yeah. of these executives. Uh, so I, I didn't look at them as closely as, like, say, somebody that would be in the arena should be looking at them. Uh, did but, you cook uh, up? From the, did hey, you did you cook up any bus takes after the first game, or did you uh, did you? Uh, no, I, I did not. I, you know, I, but listen, uh, and I knew that other people might be doing that, but uh, I mean, the guy. The guy played a lot of basketball. He's traveling. He's been under a microscope. Uh, you know, he's a big, which I also think is unfair because he doesn't have the ball in his hands, right? So he's not, like, creating his own shots. He's got to get a point guard that he's never played with before uh, to give him the ball. So, like, there's a lot of reasons why you don't get too worked up about what you see in summer league. Yeah, I I have to say I watched a bit of the, both the games that he was in. I am just blown away by the look of him, Justin. He is a different animal than anything like he's just so big and he's so smooth and small and though, sp- yeah, <laughs> and slight and big but it's just he is it's you know there's nba it's full of guys that are massive crazy freak athletes but in a league of freak athletes it's just like he's he stands alone yeah, I mean, I, I interviewed him uh, and uh, walked by him a couple of times, and it's just uh, amazing to, like, look up because uh, I'm six foot one, so I'm not uh, I'm not too short, even though I look short when I'm taking, like, pictures next to some of these guys. Uh, but, uh, yeah, he is a, he's a different level, uh, and there's a cut. Like, Yao Ming's an, another guy that, like, when you see Yao Ming, you're like, okay, like, I feel short next to and small next to Shaq, but that's another level. Uh, and Wembenyama is like a, another level where it's like uh, bigger than even the biggest of guys. So and he's and again, he's only 19. His hands are probably the biggest hands I've ever seen. You guys had Kawhi up there, and everybody yeah. was always talking about his hands. I think Wembenyama's hands are probably bigger than Kawhi's. 
That's uh, that's nuts, and it's going to be really fun to see kind of just that exact reaction to people every time he rolls through a city for the first time. So, I mean, wow. I know everybody in the league kind of got a look at him at Vegas here, but it's going to be uh, it's going to be fascinating to see. And yeah, I'm uh, very curious to see how his career plays out there. I think a lot of us are as well. Uh, Justin, thank you so much for the time today. Really, really appreciate it. Great stuff, man. All right, appreciate it, fellas. Have a good one. There he goes, Justin Termini, host of the NBA Today on Sirius XM. Uh, love, love the chat there. Love a guy fresh in from Vegas agreeing to talk to us. Yeah, really nice. Like, I mean, Austin's got the power, right? Eh? He gets he gets rigs to get up at rigs 5.30. at 5.30. Uh, Bo Van Pelt <laughs> the morning before he tees off. <laughs> Trying to keep his car. Bo Van Pelt, is, uh, he just stepped off the putting green to do that interview <laughs> with us earlier today. House, also golfing, yeah. Term- got him on the phone. Termini just putting out his dart to come and talk and to Caitlin us. And Caitlin McGrath on her last day off before she's back to the salt mines of Blue Jays <laughs> coverage. Good on you, Austin. Holy good job hell. today. Doing a good job. Uh, the Wemby hype is funny. Uh, you know, you and I, we we were away at this Buds weekend. Yeah. And I, I don't know if you had seen him kind of before that, but no, we no. were at, but we were at, I watched a, a, there's a YouTube account. I forget the name of it. That does yeah. like the condensed yes, games. Yes, yes. And I watched a bit of both of those and it's remarkable to watch him. Like, I just, I find that he is, he's almost like a spectacle, like yes, a wonder of the very world. Very much so. Like, uh, like, like an old timey. Come see yeah. the nine foot gangosaur. Well, yeah. well, what was the, what was the Toronto, uh, when they were the Huskies? They oh. had they had like a they had like a giveaway tickets. Yes, the old timey. That if you were the taller than the starting center, oh, you got in right. for free. Yes, that's right. Which is an incredible that's giveaway. So good. They should have that Raptors game. This actually cost two grand to get into a Raptors game yeah. these days. They probably wouldn't do that. But um, and and they only have guys six nine on the team, so there actually might be a couple poking. <laughs> Matt around. Hayes, want to yeah. go to the Jays? Oh, want to go to the Raptors? Big game day with for me? him. Yeah. Uh, but no, I, I, I'm just blown away by looking at him and the way that he moves with the ball or mm-hmm. whatever. I'm just interested to see what it translates to the regular season. Like, they're going to be must-watch. I think this rookie class is going to be really good. Scoot, well, it's obviously so amazing. Funny to Brandon think- Miller looks really, really good. Like, I think these three guys, we're going to look back on these top three and be like, wow, what a draft. When you compare and contrast the body types of Scoot Henderson and Victor Wembanyama, it is it is night and day. Speaking of, like, old-time, remember, like, the old-timey you get stretched out? Yeah, That's what it, that, that is what <laughs> Wembanyama looks like. He lived on a rack for the first 18 years of his life uh, over, over there so, in, in France. So I know we've done a ton of golf today. Yeah. But okay, yeah. Gunner, we have to talk we about this. We have to Rory talk quote. about this. Okay. Do you do you have the update on the quote from Sean Zach? Uh so no. he puts the quote out. I'll give it Read first. The quote. Rory was asked about Liv's quickly rejected proposal for him to captain a team. Quote <laughs> <laughs> If Liv Golf was the last place on earth to play golf, I would retire. That's how I feel about it. Whoa. End quote. Can we get like a ooh sounder? Does that exist? <laughs> I bet it does. You're throwing some stuff at Sandman. Let's see if he can get it for us. But yes, that is uh that's some pretty sexy. Sean Zach just adding the color of a deep exhale preceded this answer. He doesn't want to talk about it, but oblige the questions anyway. I, you know me, I love to get you love to get in my Rory. kitchen. I like to get on you about it. I I feel so bad for We him. said at, at the Canadian Open, because everybody, you know, we went on with Russick and Calgary and everyone was asking us here. And I, I said, what did you want him to do? Quit? Retire? It's well, just, there it is. He put his cards on the table. I, I First of all, I think that's an incredibly strong quote in the face of what the PGA Tour and Liv is dealing with right now. I think yep. that's an incredibly strong quote and kudos for him to coming out. 
But, <laughs> <laughs> but that has big time old takes potential. Or was it old takes exposed old potential? Old takes exposed. That, like, man, that is quite a thing to say because you don't know where this is going. Like, would, you, would he retire? So let's workshop it. I mean, he's it. so rich. Okay, so let's workshop it. No what? way he retires before another major. Well, that's what it is, right? It's the majors. He doesn't care. Do you think, honestly, do you think if the only golf that existed in the world was live? Like, let's say the majors just cease to exist because yeah, of all of this, which it never would. He quit. He's, he would quit. Why does he need it? I think a lot of guys would, quite quite he'd be, honestly. He'd be back in Hollywood at the old. He'd be uh, back in Hollywood. At his old home club. Yeah. Uh, Teaching yeah. pro. Him and Blocky, yeah. him and Blocky, oh, <laughs> a little on tour action. Who's the better? It's it would be he'd be taking lessons from Blocky on how to be a great uh, teaching pro. I would like that little buddy cop series. You have to commend him. Like I, we talked to a house about this, and we talked to Bo about this, and both of them, and both of us agreed that we kind of expected him to. Not be sheepish about it, but just say, guys, I've answered this question 800,000 times. The stuff that came out yesterday was literally nothing. It was just emails of ideas that guys were bandying around back and forth. I have nothing to say about this. He could have easily done that, and you might have poked me about it, but he could have easily gotten away with that. Yeah. But he didn't want to. Wanted to say his piece. And that's all he's wanted to do throughout all of this. And you can, I know I'm not even putting this on you, but it's like you can roll your eyes and say, ah, who cares? Go win a tournament. Go win a major. This cliff clearly matters to me. He clearly feels yeah. a type of way, and he is clearly not backing down no, from it. And guy. I also wonder if he would have felt differently about this if he didn't get asked that question after posting a tournament leading six under in the first round. Maybe, leading, maybe eh? feel, uh, Ben on on the course right now, one yeah. uh, one shot better than him, mm-hmm. uh, but tied for the lead with a gentleman by the name of Thomas Dietrich, I God, believe. that golf nap I take when I get home today a is lead. going to be so oh, good. I mean, I was, I, the kid had me up all nights. So I couldn't sleep. I was out on the couch at three watching Roar Pour and Birdies at, oh at, my at God, three in the morning. Sicko. Well, what am I going to do? I couldn't go back to sleep. You're so. a sicko. I love you today. Yeah, I have, I mean... If I wouldn't have been Rory out there, maybe I wouldn't have been so excited. But you know me. I, I love my coffee golf. I love my Rory. And I love his conviction uh, and his testifying that he's doing. So uh, update on the poll. Oh, quickly yes. before give it to we me, go. Give it to me. Leafs Nation. Hashtag Leafs Nation. I yes. love that hashtag. So well, good job by me there. One year of William Nylander for one year of Tom Wilson. It is held pretty strong. Not surprised. 33.7% say yes. 66.3% of people say no. I, uh, this is from John Cullen. People voting yes on this have brain damage. (laughs) Caused by Tom Wilson. (laughs) Uh, This one from Pucking Nuts. Very careful how you say that one. Plus a lot of other assets from Washington, right? Muzz says Tom and a couple picks? Question mark. So that, would that change it for you? A couple of picks? If they got a first, second? I mean, a first. Does yes. change things. Second, I I think it, I I think beyond a first, which is an asset that mm-hmm. in a perfect world can turn into something tangible very quickly. And I know mm-hmm. Matthew Nyes was a second who did the yeah, same. Yeah, yeah. But I think if it is anything other than a first rounder, you are then taking those assets to go out and buy players. You're basically doing a Riley yeah. Smith trade. But yeah. the problem with that I is like is that Riley Smith. Yeah, trade, man. we all it's a really good trade. Would kill to do it if only the guy who made it 
would have made one like that here. If only. I know, his own cap problems. We don't need but, to go back down that road. God, that was a but good trade. The problem is, is all those guys, or not all of them, but most of those guys have been jettisoned from teams that have the cap problems mm-hmm. for you to take those yeah. picks and turn them into a decent player. So mm-hmm. it does change it. I'm not going to sit here and say, no, no, there's no world where any Willie trade makes sense. First rounder, I think, yeah, that's a pretty slam dunky move. You're basically... It, it's basically the Sandine for Gustafson trade of like, give me something that can help me now of a slightly Same different team. flavor and a first round pick. So I totally understand um, that there. Uh, but yeah, I just, I think anything beyond that, you need to turn that into players. And I don't know that you can. Okay. What about I, you? Uh, I mean, I would have done it. One you would have done it one for one. So it doesn't <laughs> even matter there. A uh, couple other, a couple other texts. Uh, just wanted to, uh, to hammer a home here. Uh, somebody complaining about the uh, camp, complaining about the lack of discounts. Look at all the best players in the NHL who won Marshawn Crosby yeah. McKinnon. I take them all over Matthews in the playoffs. What they did, they took a pay cut to win. Now it's a little different for all of those guys. Marshawn wasn't Marshawn when he signed his deal. Crosby did it on the old cap where he could sign 10 year deals. And Nathan McKinnon took less because he wasn't as good. And then he, did take a little less on his next deal. I'll give him that. And Matthews has a chance to do it now, but McKinnon never won uh, under that deal. I would how, say, how sorry. great would it be if, if Matthews just signed that exact same? Contract? If he's, oh, we talk about players having, what have we talked about all day with Lillard, right? Approval like rating. approval rating. Yeah. If Austin, could you imagine Austin Matthews walking out even like eight times 13? It's crazy. It's what crazy. that would do. How, but I know. But it's crazy. Thinking, think about what you're saying. If he took thirteen million dollars, <laughs> or if he took a discount, like I got in a yelling match with Kipper about this during yeah. the hockey season, when he's like, "Pasta, what a discount!" I'm like, "Oh yeah, what yeah. a discount!" Ride down from your with your merry men, <laughs> you hero. Like, give me a break, a discount. Just oh, thirteen million dollars for eight years. You're not rich enough. Yeah, I know. Uh, anyways, I know. I'm. I. I would say it until I'm blue in the face. Like there is no bigger. There, there's no bigger win he could have from a PR perspective than eight times anything reasonable. Yes. Yeah, honestly, or, or super reasonable number if it, for four or five. I, I do think that people are like ready to accept that if the number's reasonable. Yeah. But the but longer it, it goes on, I don't think it's going. But to be. if it's a lot for short, it's going to be. The pre- I actually think it's going to be at this point. The, in time. Wor- the worm is going to start to turn on him. Well, it will. Let me like tell you. Like, if it's like 13 more than McKinnon AAV for like three, three? years, oh my God, he's not going to be received well. He, it is not going to be received well. Uh, then he's going to go out and have a 50 ish goal season, and we will grumble about it because it's not 60. Yeah. And then it's just going to matter if he has the series he had against Tampa or if he has the series mm-hmm. he had against Florida. And if he has the series he has against Tampa three more times after that, he could sign for the max amount of the cap for one year deals for the rest of his life. Like, that's what it all comes down to. Quickly, before we go here. Yeah. Um, can we get some applause ready, please, Santos? Thank you. Uh, first thing, love this grinding, this grinder morning show. Hope there's more to come with these two grinders getting their own show. <laughs> well, you're in luck. We're here tomorrow and the rest of next week. Plus, we do have our own show yes. Saturday mornings uh, at 9 a.m. There you go. Right? You nailed it. The golf show. Okay. Thank you for that. And secondly, it's time to award our grinder of the day. And this is an easy one. They didn't text in their name. I, I like to think it's Randy. On site at 6 a.m. to do some underground plumbing in a dirty, wet pit, exclamation mark. No problem with that. It's just the commute from Stony Creek to downtown that is the killer. So applause again, please, sir. Congratulations to Randy and Stony Creek.
You have one. Uh, Randy may or may not be that person's name, but I also agree with you. It would it fits perfectly. I would also take Rusty. That would also work for somebody in a dirty, wet pit. And again, we like descriptors. We like adjectives. So keep that in mind when you're trying to become tomorrow's grinder of the day. As you said, we'll be here for the next uh, tomorrow and then all the next week. Golf show on Saturday. With a little giveaway. On with Saturday. a little giveaway coming up. Maybe we'll get the fan social team to tease that tomorrow after we're off the air. J.D. Bunk is going to charge in here at any moment. We'll be back bright and early tomorrow. Thanks so much for listening. It's been the Fan Morning Show on Sportsnet 5.9 of the Fan.